think about what you might give. Uh, we haven't set a goal yet, uh, but we'll be, we'll be promoting that goal very soon. There'll be envelopes in the back. Uh, we have a week of prayer brochures that we're going to pass out probably next Sunday and encourage you to pray uh, for eight days for these guys, as well as some of the, the ones we watched last week, the ones we'll watch next week. We're kind of watching the videos that go with the day of prayer um, guide. So when you get that brochure, you'll recognize some of the faces in there, the folks from St. Louis, these folks from Washington, D.C. Um, and then pray about what you might give. The, the money that is given to the Annie Armstrong offering, named after a, uh, a woman who was uh, crucial in promoting missions in the United States and North America. That's what, who it's named after. All of that money, 100% goes to missionaries on the field in the United States and Canada. Uh, none of that goes to any administrative costs or any other things. So, um, yeah, we're dismissing the kids. Sorry, I always seem to, that always seems to slip my mind. I don't know why. <laughs> Have you ever been lost before? You ever been lost? We, we finished Philippians. Now we're going to take a couple weeks to talk about, about this concept of being lost. Anybody? Okay. Oh, wow, that's good. Good number of hands. Um, lost while traveling, lost while hiking, lost in a town you're unfamiliar with. It's harder now to be lost, isn't it? Because we've got this little, um, this little box in our pocket that can pretty much always tell us where we're at and help us get to where we need to go. But shortly after we were married, uh, Lydia and I um, finished up college. We moved to Seattle. And, and back in the day, uh, when there were no cell phones, when we lived in Seattle, um, you had to buy a map. Anybody ever seen one of those? You can't buy a map. Anybody ever tried to buy a map recently? You can't buy maps anymore. It's very difficult to find maps. You have to go to estate sales to find maps now. <laughs> um, and we found a lot of maps at estate sales. But in, in, um, in Seattle, Seattle's a huge area. It's kind of probably similar to like Chicago, LA, New York in, in size and spread uh, with so many different suburbs and other towns around and back in the day, we used to get a, a book called a Thomas Guide. Anybody ever heard of a Thomas Guide? Yeah, some of you are shaking your heads. Um, it was about this thick, and the first pages when you opened it were the, were the outline of the whole area you were in with a grid. And the grids, you know, it was broken up into little squares, and you picked the grid you were in, which if you didn't know where you were, could have been hard to do, right? But hopefully you knew where you were to begin with. You picked your grid, you picked the number, it told you the page, you turned to the page, find yourself at the street intersection, and then you knew where to go. We got to the edge of a page, it told you what page to turn to. Um, yeah. <laughs> Crazy days, right? Now we just look at our phones. Have you ever lost something important? Anybody? You've lost something important. Um, you have misplaced something. Um, the first year we lived in Poland, we misplaced a child. Anybody ever misplaced a kid before? <coughs> we were in our house. It was, it was a nice place. We didn't pick it out. When we arrived on the field, they had a place picked out for us. It was a place that a, a former couple had used, a former missionary family. And it was at the top floor of like a five-story building. And it actually had two floors in the apartment. Which so it was, it was pretty big. We were actually quite surprised we got there. It's like, this is your apartment. We're like, wow, it has two floors. I've never had an apartment with two floors before. You know, so it's got like living room, dining room, one bedroom on the bottom floor. And then when you go upstairs, there were a couple more bedrooms. Um, it was pretty nice. We, we really liked it. We had a meeting. Uh, we don't remember exactly what the meeting was for, but it, it was with other American missionaries. And there were at least 20 of us, maybe more, in the house. Could have been a birthday party or something. And um, Lydia walked up to me partway through and said, 
have you seen our youngest? <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> so we start looking through the whole house. Now, in other countries, they don't always have the same safety standards we have. And so in Poland, like many other countries outside the United States, the windows open all the way, regardless of what floor you're on. So you could be in a 20-story building and your window just opens all the way, right? Here they have stops and measures in place. You can't do that. So Lydia immediately is like, she fell off the top window. You know, she, I don't know, I don't know if that's mom's or if it's just Lydia, but she just jumped to the worst possible scenario. This mom's, okay, check the, check, the babies fell out the window. Let's go look. Um, so we search the house. None of the windows are open. You know, it's like, I don't think she fell out a window because they're closed. Turns out um, our, our youngest went under a bed and fell asleep. I think overwhelmed with the crowd and the people that she didn't know in a foreign country. There was a lot of stuff, right? A lot of stress. Um, tragedy averted. We had another event. We were in uh, uh, the metro, the subway, right? And we get to the very last stop and all of us get off except our oldest, Abby, stays on the train. And we turn around and Abby's standing there and the doors go like this. And she's like looking through us, looking at us through the window and we're like, uh, <laughs> what do you do, right? And it's not like it's going to go to another stop. It's the end, you know, and at the end, it just goes into a dark tunnel to, I don't know where, you know, to turn around. I think it goes down at the end and, you know, the driver gets to take a, a bathroom break and they just park it in some dark tunnel somewhere. Fortunately, the drivers have these little, the subways have rear view mirrors, probably for this very reason. He saw the <laughs> distressed family <laughs> in the rear view mirror and the doors reopen and Abby steps out. It was like, whew, it was almost a moment where we, where we lost a child couple times, right? I want to read some scripture this morning because Jesus taught and talked uh, about how people could be lost. Um, and so he talks in a couple of parables. There's three parables. We're going we're gonna to look at two today. We're going to look at one more next week. And what we need to understand is that people can be lost and, fa- and in fact are lost and many without even realizing it. Have you ever been lost and you didn't know it? <laughs> Only to turn up later, it's like, wow, I, I was lost for the last hour and I didn't know it. Um, Jesus had a strong, a, pr- a particularly strong affection, if you will, for people who were spiritually lost, who were spiritually far away from God. And it, it had elevated to the point where the scribes, the Pharisees, and other religious leaders noticed this Jesus does stuff that we don't think is appropriate with people who are not to their, to their standards religious enough or, or, or churchy enough. Let's pick up in verse uh, 1 of chapter 15 in Luke, and we're going to read the first two parables. It says uh, this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told him this parable, What man of you, having lost a hundred sheep, if he has lost, if, if having a hundred sheep has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost." 
Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then continuing in verse 8, the second parable. What, uh, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask this morning that you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word. That it not just bounce off, uh, fly over, or pass through, but that, Lord, that we listen and we examine our own hearts, our own attitudes, our own uh, understandings or misunderstandings about lostness, whether it's the fact that we ourselves are lost or whether it's our attitude towards others who are spiritually lost. Lord, help us to see through your eyes and feel with your heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name today. Amen. A couple of ground rules for parables. Three ground rules I'm going to set today. Remember that the lesson of a parable first often refers to the matter that immediately precedes it. Jesus used stories. They were simple, and he used them to illustrate spiritual things. And he often would state something or something would happen or somebody would ask a question, and then the parable would follow. So the parable fits with what immediately precedes it. In this case, uh, the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Christ. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, right? So that's what this refers to. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Often parables begin with a phrase, the kingdom of God is like, but in this specific case, it's pointing back to our understanding of what it means to be spiritually separated from God. Remember the second one, anytime you read a parable of Jesus Christ in one of the gospels, the parable usually only has one point. Uh, sometimes people will try to unpack a bunch of stuff in and say the parable says this and that and the other. It's usually only one thing. In this case, the, the one thing is the proper attitude or response to take with a person who is spiritually lost. Third ground rule, take care in understanding parables not to assign too much to symbology. Um, sometimes a lady sweeping a house is just sweeping. It's just a broom. Uh, so, so be careful when assigning too much meaning to the symbols and things in, uh, in a parable. In this case, the lost sheep simply represents a lost person. The shepherd or the housewife simply represents a person seeking a lost person. It could be any of us, any other Christians throughout time and history, or it could be Christ, all right? So with some ground rules behind us, Luke 15, 1 through 7, the first parable talks about a sheep. And we see here the sheep is lost through inattentiveness. Inattentiveness. They've been caught up in the pattern of the life they live and in, in, in the world they live in. Sheep are notorious for wandering. You probably have already heard this before. But they spend their days looking for whatever sheep look for. Head down, eating grass, walking around, looking for water, looking for some, maybe some shade or some rest, and they wander in whatever direction the necessities of life take them. 
Can you see how this relates to humans? It's similar to us, isn't it? We can get lost because we've got our head down. We've talked, I don't know how many times we've talked about throughout Philippians about raising up our heads and looking and seeing and seeing what's there and watching and looking to the Lord. I, I stole that scripture we put up on the, on the screen a couple months ago. Lift your heads up, O ye gates. That just... Uh, it just keeps ringing in my head every time we read anything else. It, it reminds me about that. But humans have the tendency to, and you've probably even said this yourself, put your head down and get to work. <laughs> right? Grind. Work. Earn. Shop. Cook. Clean. All those things you have to do with your head down, don't you? You've got to look down. You have to clean with your head down. You have to shop with your head down. You earn often, unless you're driving, with your head down. We follow, as the sheep did, whatever direction the necessities of life tend to take us. While the sheep was at one point under the watchful eye of a shepherd, part of a flock of a hundred, the sheep has now found themselves separated, away from the care of the shepherd and in a situation where they're lost. We've done the same thing. At one time or another, all of us, the scripture rose red, right? We like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have gone, I like that it rhymes in English. Each of us have gone their own way. It's, it's handy that it rhymes in English. But that's true. We wander. We've done the same since the fall and the casting out of the garden. Humans have become wanderers. And we're always on the prowl looking for something, looking for something better, looking for something more, trying to get that next step up in life. And everyone around us is doing the same. Accepting what they see and hear as the reality of this world as, as if it were true when there are actually other realities at work. But they're not necessarily lost by a decision. They're lost because they do naturally what humans do. We wander, heads down, looking as the sheep for whatever people look for. They have found themselves lost, looking after riches, looking for fun, looking to cut up, looking to goof off looking to have more money, a better position, a bigger house, a better job to achieve, if you will, the American dream, which, as we've discussed before, is really no dream at all. It's shackles. It's bondage. Most people don't even realize they're lost. Now, taking a look at the second parable, uh, the woman who has lost one of her coins Have you ever had something one moment in your house and the next moment you couldn't find it? Has that ever happened to you? Uh, It happens to me. Um, And I'll go and I'll look and I'll come and I'll say, Lydia, I can't find it. And she would always say this to me and she would always say this to our kids. When they did the same thing, she would say, have you mommy looked? Anybody ever said that before? Yeah, now you know how well Lydia searches. (laughs) Lydia is a bulldog, and she will not stop searching until it's found. She will not stop searching. And, and so every time I look for something and I can't find it, now guess what rings in my head? Have you mommy looked? 
it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating. You had it. It was there. It was in your hand. It was in your pocket. It was supposed to be hanging on the keychain. We have a nice keychain ring at the front of the house. We always hang our keys. Never lose our keys anymore. Never lose our keys. And it's nice now that I have a smartwatch because it has to sit on the little cradle to charge. So I never lose my watch anymore, right? Uh, I, some of these things have, have gotten better. But one moment you had it, wallet, keys, glasses, you set them down, you turned away glasses. I do glasses all the time. Take your glasses off to do something and then you can't find your glasses. Why not? Because you can't see. It's like, you're just like wandering around the house all squinty. Lydia, have you seen my glasses? Have you mommy looked? Well, I can't see to mommy look. Help me. We get distracted in this world. Things distract us. It could be work. It could be personal problems, family issues, football game, basketball game, right? Uh, anybody watching the basketball games this weekend? Yeah, you watched Montana get absolutely hammered, men and women, lost by 30, lost by 40. Ouch. Don't even, don't even go there. At least they made it. Pandemic, sickness, wars, rumors of wars, whatever, the 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 then later when you need that item, right, you can't find it. And it's, it's the same with the things that distract us. They, they, they create a situation in which we're lost because all of these things crowd out our, our memory, right? They crowd it out. There's so many things to distract a person, and I already had one list, but here's another. The outdoors, the indoors, TV, streaming, binge-washing, uh, watching video games, music, news, politics, endless activities, options for stuff to do. We live in a world where there's a sport for every season and a toy for every sport. And we pour ourselves into these things. And it's too easy to allow the pursuit of these things to crowd out what is most important. And even you and I, Christ follower, can fall into these traps. We can fall under the sway of the distractions of this world. Like the coin, the things that are most important to us can be crowded out by the distractions, and we find ourselves lost. There's a solution to this. I have good news. The gospel. The solution is that the search is on. At the beginning of the message today, I asked you if you had ever lost anything. I want you to think back to that, because I'm sure you have. Thinking back for a moment... How well and how hard did you try to find it? Did you toss a couple cushions on the couch and then say, Mom, I can't find it? To which she says, did your mommy look? Right? Did you shuffle uh, through the, the seats in the car and then give up without actually looking under the seats? I've lost stuff under the seats. Anybody lost stuff under the seats of the car? Loose stuff there all the time. You know what we got? We got some of those little, have you seen these? They're little things that fill the gaps between the console and the seat. Now nothing can fall through. We don't lose stuff under the seats anymore. It's beautiful. Or when that thing was lost, did you turn the house upside down? Did you toss not only the cushions, but you lifted up the couch to look under it? Under the couch, under the ottoman. Under the rug. Our cats like to hide stuff under the rug. I think it's like it's a hiding place. Something small goes missing. We're like, okay, the cats took it. Let's look under the rug. 
Did you uh, tear the sheets off the bed? Anybody ever done that looking for something? Just tear the bed to shreds. How serious did you take the search? There's a principle here, isn't there? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state what the principle is. The quality of your search is a direct indicator to the relevant or to the relative importance of the lost thing. Fortunately, it's on the screen. I am still going to say it again. The quality of your search is a direct indicator of the relative importance of the lost thing. If it's a dollar bill, you probably just peek between the cushions on the couch. If it's a hundred dollar bill, maybe things are different then, right? Then maybe you take everything apart. <laughs> if it's a, uh, a, one of those little, you ever seen those little candy rings with the little pop, you know, and you kind of suck on those things? If it's one of those, maybe, maybe, you poke around and see if it fell on the floor in the car. If it's an engagement ring, we, that happened to us once. <laughs> it was a wedding ring. It never showed up, never did turn up. We're pretty convinced it got lost in the minivan that we sold and left in Montana. We tore that van to shreds. I mean, we took the seats out. You ever taken the seats out of a vehicle to look for something? We took the seats out. Because under the seats, there's these little holes where everything connects, and you can't get to those holes unless you take the seats out. So, I mean, you look for something that's that important, right? And, and, and you, you mommy look <laughs> because you want to find it. The amount of time and effort spent looking for something indicates how important that object is. The man left the 99 to search for the one. The woman lit a lamp and swept the house, and it says she searched until she found it, and she didn't stop until she searched diligently and found the coin. And I want to ask you a question today that's going to help us really grasp the importance of what Jesus is saying here today. How important is one person? How important is the salvation? How, how important is the, the, the relationship that can be built between God and a person? How important is that to you? It just got real, didn't it? Because <laughs> everybody's like, oh no. <laughs> oh no. If the principle is true, then to adequately answer this from God's perspective, we have to look at the quality of God's search for people who are spiritually lost. Let's look at Luke 19 through 10. It says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is... Um, Christ's own words in this particular passage, speaking about himself. And I wonder if you've ever had this or heard of this term. It's not something you necessarily scripturally find in the Bible, but if anybody ever told you, this is my life verse, and then they quote a verse. Anybody ever heard that? I know. Um, Lydia has a life verse. I wrote it down. If you know Lydia at all, you've heard her say, Colossians 3.23, <clears throat> whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. In other words, no matter what you're doing, how menial a task, how degrading or humiliating it is, don't do it for someone else. Do it for God. That changes your attitude in serving. Uh, that's, and, and, and she's a servant. And she serves out of an attitude that she does it not for you, although she likes to help you and me. But she does it out of an attitude of serving the Lord. 
That's her life verse. I think that this is Jesus' life verse. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Paul made a lot of statements like this. Lydia's made a statement. Some of us have made a statement like this. But this is Jesus' statement, his, his life purpose, if you will, his life on earth purpose, if you will. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It very succinctly encapsulates pretty much all of the gospel into one sentence, doesn't it? Why Jesus? To seek and save the lost. As we approach Easter, we're reminded of the quality of his search. He came down, he humiliated himself, left the, the deity he had in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and humiliated himself by taking on the form of a man, a limited human being, with uh, you know, one that grew tired, one that got sick. We know a little bit about that, right? <laughs> Sniff. One that had to go to the bathroom. How humiliating for him to step down into that life. How humiliating. We're reminded in Easter of the quality of his search. He came to search for the spiritually lost, the separated, the broken, the downtrodden, and the scattered. In Matthew 9, 36, it says that Jesus, one time looking out over a crowd of people who had gathered to hear him teach, it says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless, and that's what people in our world who are separated from God look like today. Some of them know it, and they're trying to fill that harassment and that helplessness with every kind of thing that they can fit in there. Some don't know because they've got their head down, and they're just going for it in this life because they don't think the next life has anything in it, and they want to get all they can now. The overarching principle, the common thread that runs throughout these two parables is that somebody was looking. Somebody was searching. Somebody knew something was lost. Somebody knows today that someone is lost. Jesus Christ. He came to search for God's image bearers. He was the searcher. He came to seek and save the lost, and that was his purpose. And he was even willing to die to make that possible. You remember the principle? The quality of the search <laughs> indicates the relative importance of the thing that's being sought. How important is one person? Christ gave his life. The value of one lost person was life itself. It was everything. This scripture is not uh, on the screen, but... As I was studying this morning, I was reminded about it, and I was like, I don't know how I didn't get that into the message, but I have to read it. Out of John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that, they, that someone lay down his life for a friend. And you probably learned that in a different translation. It sounds a little different uh, in the ESV. No greater love than laying down a life for a friend. But while God's search plan began with his son, Jesus Christ, it didn't end there. 
the search party has been expanded. This is good news. This is more good news. That's what the word gospel means, literally. Good news. The search party has been expanded. The reach of the party has been extended to the reach of all Christ followers because we've all been included and invited into the search party. One of the last things Jesus did with the remaining disciples after his resurrection was to extend the search party. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is Jesus inviting the, the, the church into the search. This is Jesus calling all Christ followers to, to grab a life ring and jump into the water and begin to tell people about Christ. In extending the search, Jesus essentially casts his own life verse as ours. If Jesus' life verse is the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, it's as if Jesus is walking and he's looking back to his followers and he's saying, come on, you too. We got to save them. They're dying. They're drowning. They're going to hell. It's up to you, church. It's up to you, individual. It's up to you, Christ follower, image bearer. You've been invited. You've been called. Uh, and I'm going to even use a word beyond invited. I'm going to say commanded, implored, begged. You and I are called and commanded to seek and save the lost too. This is the central purpose, I think, of what Christ came to do here on this earth. And it is a central purpose of every Christ follower. Whether you consider yourself an evangelist or not, all of you and all of us are in the search party. And it's our job. It's our job to share. It's our job to say, raise your heads. Look up at something different. See the Savior. Look how much he loved you. Here's what he did for me. Here's what he can do for you. And there's one last element both of these, short, these stories share that I love. Um, there's a celebration. And I, I don't know about you, but I like to celebrate. COVID was hard because we had to cancel a lot of celebrations. We're, we're not having necessarily a celebration today, but I would, I don't know, maybe it is a celebration um, we were sitting in leadership team a couple weeks ago, and Dick said, why don't we have a meal together? And I was like, what are we going to celebrate? It's like, just being together, <laughs> just because we can. So maybe today is kind of a celebration. We're going to eat in a moment together and just share some time eating together. Um, but I love that in these passages, in both parables, the parables conclude with a celebration. Let's take a look just real quick. I want to read the ends of the two parables. Luke 15, 1 through 5 says, uh, when the searcher, when the, the man had found the lost sheep, it says he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he says to them, rejoice with me. I have found my sheep that was lost. And here's where he takes the parable and connects it to the reality of what happens in, in, in God's kingdom. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over the 99 righteous who need no repentance. And in, and in the same way, Luke 15, 9 through 10, 
when the, the housewife has found the lost coin, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice! I have found, I rejoice with me for I have found the coin I lost. And then again, he connects it to the reality of God's kingdom saying, just so I tell you, uh, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So how important, we go back to that question from the beginning. How important is one person? Man, they party in heaven over one person. In the same way that our most comprehensive searches are for the things we find most valuable, our biggest celebrations, they show what's most important to us. And so, it depends on what you're living for. If you're living for material success, career achievement, the biggest celebrations in this life will be celebrating promotions, celebrating contracts, celebrating awards, if it's human relationships and families, then it'll be weddings, anniversaries, and birthdays. But according to Jesus, the thing that gets the party started in heaven, if you'll forgive me using the term, the thing that, that gets the champagne flowing, now, I don't know if they have champagne or not, but you know, we, lot of, we see a lot of champagne at parties when people celebrate like winning a game or something. The thing that gets, you know, can you see him up there shaking the bottle of champagne, spraying it around? I don't know. Maybe, but the thing that really gets it going is when one person who is spiritually separated from God is reunited in Christ. That's the reality. Everything else is illusion. Everything else in this world, it's, it's illusory. It's, it's, you, you can't put your hand on it. It's temporary. It's short-lived. The thing that gets the angels of God dancing in heaven is when one sinner repents, when one person comes to faith in Christ. To be eternally found, to be eternally secure, to be saved, this story governs all of reality. This is what really matters. This is what energizes the party in heaven. Rejoicing begins when the shepherd finds the sheep and the party starts when the coin is found. Christ is searching. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior today, he is searching for you. You might have your head down. You might be following something in this world, probably likely are. Confused. Uh, following illusions. Following things that aren't going to give you what you think you want. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, Jesus willingly endured the cross to carry us home. Christ wants to carry you home today. Now, some of us have placed our faith in Christ. We've asked Jesus Christ to save us. We have stepped out of darkness and into light from the old and into the new. Some of us are still thinking about that. We're praying about that. We're wondering about that. Um, Christ wants to carry you. Christ wants to pick you up from where you're at today, to forgive you of your sin, to wash you, to cleanse you, to give you a new life and a new reality. And, and, and image bearers, Christ followers, he wants us to grasp how important it is that we are part of the search party. 
And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, we probably haven't taken that seriously enough. I and mean, if we're going to be honest with ourselves. If we really thought that everybody around us was drowning and dying and going to hell, I think we would live differently. Me included. All of us, I think we would. Maybe we believe it, but we're just not willing to jump in. I'm not sure what it is. But God forgive us where we haven't jumped in and done what we needed to do. Where we've held on to the life ring and watched Netflix instead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you have a party in heaven, but you want to have so many more. Lord, Christ did what only he could do to carry my sin, our sin, the sins of the world to the cross to die for them, to die for us to be buried, to rise again, victorious over sin, victorious over death, uh, and, and is with you, Scripture says, and will return again. He did the part that he had to do that only he could do out of love. He gave everything. No, no stone unturned. No cost in the search too great. Well, Lord, you've invited us to be in the search party. You've extended uh, the, the, the invitation and command to us. But Lord, we often find ourselves too busy. Too busy to be bothered. Too busy to open our mouths. Too busy to talk. Too busy to share. Too distracted. Too fearful. And so, Lord, we confess to you today that in, in many ways, in that aspect, we have failed you. We're not very good lifeguards. Lord, we want to be better lifeguards. We want to be better search and rescue party members. Lord, that the, the party in heaven would be great because of people who come to know you as Lord and Savior. Not for our glory, not for the glory of this church, but for the glory of God. And so Lord, we confess to you today that, uh, that, that we have failed in that respect. Lord, forgive us, challenge us, embolden us. I would say equip us, but you already have. Lord, we want to be obedient to you. And I feel like this is one of the areas of obedience. We, uh, we, the church, not just this church, but the church, tends to struggle in and to fail in. And so, Lord, lift up our heads. Change our hearts. Change our attitudes. Focus our vision and our thoughts on the things of you, the, the, the reality of the spiritual world as opposed to the illusion of the physical world. 
Lord, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, who, who Scripture says, did it as a joy. that we would be saved. Lord, we pray these things in his name, the only name, the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen.